Welcome to Women and Manufacturing, where accomplished women interview accomplished women. Hello, and welcome to Riveting Exchanges podcast. This is Desiree Grace, one of your co-hosts, along with my fellow host, Andrea Olson. We are very excited today. Instead of having a topical conversation, we have an interview with a colleague and friend of mine, Kathy Jo Van. She is a retired vice president from Southwire Corporation, and she has recently launched her own business that is involved with mentoring and entrepreneurship. So we'll spend some time not only discussing with Kathy Jo her experiences in manufacturing, but also her views on mentorship which is a topic near and dear to many women in manufacturing. But let's start off with something personal first. Kathy Joe, you just uh, participated in Ragbri. Can you tell our audience a little bit about the beautiful state of Iowa and bicycling in the summer heat? Yeah, we had the most spectacular weather ride, 428 miles across Iowa. We started in Ottawa and rode through some wonderful little towns, had great hospitality. Uh, our team had uh, 20 people on the team, but there were 20,000 uh, people riding across Iowa, and we ended in the wonderful city of Davenport, which I know you both know and love. Um, and yeah. the best part of the experience, I would have to say, was not only meeting the people, but to get to spend a week with my older brother. He has done my bry a couple other times and was really encouraging me to join him and finally I, I bit the bullet. Uh, we had beautiful weather. Uh, it was unlike summer weather. It was 60s in the morning and 75 in the 75 maybe 80 was the high so it was spectacular to uh, experience Iowa from, from the seat of a bicycle. Fantastic. Well as a Midwesterner I'm glad you had a good experience and um, Andrea and I both being residents of the Quad Cities uh, I know I can speak for myself. I'm glad you had positive hospitality. We, we try to be a friendly group of people. Oh, definitely. So you know, and those, Joe, those types of events are, are just fantastic to, to start exposing yourself to so many new people. And a lot of people might think Iowa is just, just rows of cornfields, but these types of things are, A, not only a personal challenge to ride over 400 miles across the state, but... You know, also the experiences, you know, they stay with you for a lifetime. And, you know, I hope you didn't have any accidents or wipeouts. I've heard that uh, happens fairly often, get a little road rash. But, uh, you know, congratulations on, on an amazing ride. It was really um, concerning when you see the ambulances um, driving down the road to pick up a, a fellow biker that uh, has fallen. And, and one biker they had to airlift. Uh, so we were all praying for uh, her safe return to biking. Definitely. No kidding. So, so I Joe, personally am so excited to join you guys um, today. Desiree, when you and I talk, we've known each other for years, but when you and I talk, I was so interested in learning about the, uh, the women in manufacturing. Uh, so it's, it's quite an honor to be here and join you guys for this podcast today. Thanks for having me. Well, we're very glad to have you. Um, you know, you've had a pretty illustrious career in manufacturing. You know, like me, you started out in distribution. And um, like a lot of people in our industry, it wasn't necessarily part of the plan to go into manufacturing. 
Can you share with our listeners a little bit about your career trajectory and um, maybe some of the highlights of your manufacturing experience? Yeah, um, you know, I, I basically grew up in the electrical industry. My uh, grandfather had a construction business, uh, and then my dad and two uncles bought it from him and turned it into a distributor. So I grew up stocking shelves, waiting on the counter. Uh, moved to Chicago 26 years ago to join a large uh, regional distributor uh, based here. Did that? That company was bought by Wesco, um, and that was an interesting um, transition to being owned by a publicly traded company. And then in 2000, um, I sought to find a, a job with a company based in Chicago. Um, and I found a, a company called Coleman Cable that was headquartered right here. We had manufacturing. And a lot of my distributor friends, I moved over to manufacturing, said, gee, Kathy Joe, what do you like better? Do you like manufacturing or do you like distribution? And I have to say it's not a matter of liking one better than the other. Um, it was just very different. Um, and I think the neatest part about manufacturing was you really kind of got to, it's like the Wizard of Oz, where you pull back the green curtain and you see the magic behind what happens to get that box of wire actually on the shelf of the distributor. And so mm-hmm. to be able to see that was just just fascinating to see how things uh, were made and uh, all the complexities that go into that. And um from like for a wire manufacturer to actually see a, um, uh, a copper rod mill where they actually fabricate the copper rod and then draw that copper rod down into smaller gauge wire and insulate it and cover it and package it up and then sell it to a distributor. Um, that that was fascinating and and but I didn't always see that right. So when I joined Coleman, I joined as a, a head of business development and sales and marketing. And it was great because I really knew and understand the customer. So um, if there was one, you know, advice I would give to anyone in manufacturing, uh, it's that you got to know your customer. And so I was fortunate to have been a customer, um, but um, I would say that you don't have to have been a customer in order to get to know your customers. Um, there are a lot of ways, and, and that, this applies to all disciplines of manufacturing. You, people, most people think in manufacturing – uh, sure, the salespeople and the marketers need to be out visiting with customers and understand that. But I would say that you know, if you're in human resources or IT or in accounting, any of those disciplines within a manufacturer is so valuable to be able to spend time with the customers. And it's amazing. All the customers love to have people from the factory come out and visit with them and share their stories and their insights. So I would say that you know, one of the biggest highlights for me of joining a manufacturer was um, to, to get to see how things are made and how a manufacturer operates, um, but also helping other people within our organization. I was able to take a lot of those um, uh, finance people, accounting people, HR people, out to some of my distributor conferences um, and get, that, get them exposure to the customer. Uh, and it was eye-opening for them. We had our, our head of HR was just amazed at how much she learned and kind of understood the why are we in this uh, by hearing it from the customers. You know, that's you know, a great that's point. A, it's a, it is such a critical point. And, and you know, some things sometimes are very difficult 
to do in a manufacturing environment because there are so many moving parts. And sometimes, you know, there's everyone has to wear more than one hat. And having that time to go out and meet with customers, sometimes it's hard to find. So it is critically important to make that priority one. But one of the things you mentioned was that you were you know, over sales and marketing. And, and sometimes manufacturers struggle with understanding how marketing fits into the picture. They they often oversimplify the fact that marketing is just, mm-hmm. you know, perceived as, as the trade show organizer and the website updater. How did you balance that uh, role of marketing and sales, and how did you utilize marketing within manufacturing? Well, you hit that right on the head, Andrea, that a, a lot of people that are, whether it's in the engineering department or the people that are running the plant, people that are running the logistics, you have that battle of versus manufacturing. Manufacturing says, I made this whole pile of stuff, just go sell it. Mm-hmm. And, and marketing says, I could sell this stuff if you would just make that stuff, right? I, I need this other thing or this other feature or benefit on it. Why can't you make that? That would make it a lot easier for me to sell. Um, right. And I, I think one of the, the best things that happened to me is probably within three or four years of working for Coleman, our CEO came to me and said, KJ, this is it's great that you know the customers. The customers love you. But we are a manufacturer, and you've got to learn and understand what we do as a manufacturer. Um, and at that time, our CFO had was bragging a lot about when he first started at Coleman, he spent the first three weeks of his career in the plant running the line. Mm. And I thought, okay, well, that, that's kind of cool, but, you know, how do I take three weeks off from filling the pipeline of sales to spend in the plant? And just running the product, the line in the plant is not, quote, unquote, manufacturing. So I took a little different approach and um, went to my manufacturing and and uh, said, hey, will you will you help me understand? Will you teach me what you do? Uh, and that was a very humbling experience to kind of check my ego at the door and kind of go, look, I know how to sell this stuff, but I don't have any clue as to what you do and how you do it. And the operations guys, whether it was they were in purchasing and engineering, um, they were in the, the, the uh, running the, the shifts, uh, or even in the maintenance, the guys – they love the fact that someone from sales cared enough to ask the questions and just sit next to them and listen. So I spent probably, I don't know, five or six months, I tried to go one day a week to a different part mm-hmm. of the plant and just sit next to my manufacturing colleagues. And it was, it was a couple of things. It was them teaching me things, but it's also building that relationship so that, you know, down the road when one of my customers had an issue or they were complaining about you know, we were late on an order, I could empathize with them, and I knew exactly what was going on in the plant as to why the plant was late. And it wasn't because anybody was deceitful or they were trying to run customers off. It's truly because there are challenges um, that prevented us from meeting the delivery time. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, kind of knowing what we do, how we do it, and, and what it is that made my company unique and different and how we win the game really helped me be a better sales and marketer and kind of bridge that gap between the sales team and the manufacturing team. So, Kathy, Joe, I'm curious. Um, do you think that helped you build internal credibility as well when you maybe needed to rally some resources around for a particular project? 
Oh, absolutely, Desiree. I think it's, you know, it's, especially today, like everybody thinks, though, it's e-commerce, right? And, and there's a lot of talk around, you know, millennials always have their phone in their, their nose in their phones. But the reality mm-hmm. is it's all still a relationship business. Um, and, you know, you, what is it they say that you attract more bees with honey, right, than with, than with lemons. <laughs> um, so it, it's truly a matter of having a relationship. And it's, and it's, it's got to be genuine relationships. So I think because I took the time to sit with those manufacturing people and ask a ton of questions and listen so much more than I talked um, and, and, and built a relationship with them, and that was a relationship based on, you know, trust and respect, that, that then when I had to, you know, call in a favor, I wasn't picking up the phone saying, hi, Andy, this is Kathy Joe. I'm over in sales and marketing. Can you help me? You know, I'd call and say, hey, Andy, hey, how's that son doing that's applied to, to graduate school? Is he doing well? You know, so it's a true relationship. I knew what his family was doing. I knew how long he had been at the company. We had had fun together. We had worked hard together. And mm-hmm. so I was asking a favor for us collectively to help the customer. It, this was not a favor for Kathy Joe. It was a favor for, you know, us as colleagues to help a customer. You know, I think that's an excellent point that you bring up is building real relationships. Um, You know, I've read some of the interviews with you about your Trailblazer Award with NAED, and congratulations again on that. Um, But you've talked a lot. um, You're very welcome. You've talked a lot about being true to yourself and being real and authentic. Um, Yeah, I wonder if you could expand on that a little bit, because I think sometimes, particularly our younger listeners, may feel that they need to be a certain way or present a certain image. And um, I think it would be useful to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, that's an interesting um, question, Desiree. I remember back when I started in sales um, and and I went through a training program with General Mills that spent 13 weeks just training me on sales basics. And it wasn't teaching me about cereal and flour. They were really teaching me about presentation skills, overcoming objections, time management. And I think that was the foundation of, you know, me learning to become a good salesperson. And there was a pivotal point in my career that one of my my managers and, and mentors basically said, you know, KJ, you need to be more more genuine and feel free to open up and be personal and get to know people on a personal level, not because of something they can do for you, but because you truly care. And and as I reflected on my interactions in the industry, I remember going to uh, an opening reception of this uh, large uh, distributor event. And there were 200 people in this big cocktail room, right? So you go, you grab your, your cocktail and you start talking to a group of people and I found myself immediately thinking, okay, these three people that I'm talking to can't do anything for me, so I need to find a way to excuse myself and go find Bill, who's like the prospect that's going to be able to give me a purchase order. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I reflected on that, I found that that was no fun, right? That was creating a lot of self-induced stress on myself. And when I kind of chilled out and started just enjoying the people in the conversation for the people that they are, I really like this this buddy. No matter what their role is, no matter what their background is, they have something to offer and and it can learn something personally or professionally. And I found once I 
kind of opened up and, and was more accept, acceptable of just having a conversation for the sake of a conversation, not a conversation because I'm artificially trying to build a quote-unquote relationship so I could get to a purchase order. Life became much more enjoyable. Work became much more enjoyable. And actually, I think that, that led to me being more successful because it was the foundation of having more genuine relationships instead of these artificial relationships. The other, the other aspect of that is, you know, sometimes you don't think about the long term. You might think about speaking with someone and, and your, your current quotas, yet someone you meet might move to another organization, get a new position, and then they become someone that really, if you had had a relationship with, would be to the long-term benefit, even outside yeah. of, of personal. And so you just never know. It's really critical to build that network. And and to keep that network going. Um, right. It's not only building building the network right here and now, but I've got, I've got friends that I met 30 years ago uh, that I still I try at least once a year. I still handwrite holiday cards. They're more New Year's cards. I've handwritten a personal note to hundreds of people. Um, some some of my colleagues and my husband think I'm crazy, but I think it's a, <laughs> the handwritten note is a is a big impact and it makes a difference. Go ahead. Well, I also think about like in 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 basic sales training, right? There's and there's a lot of those uh, you know training programs you can go through, and they're like, okay, look around the guy's office, and if you see he's got a picture of a of a a golf course, then you need to talk to him about golf or, or you know. And I, I just found that was so artificial. I found it was just mm-hmm. better to more just open up and just ask them questions and truly listen to their their answers. And that applies not just for customers, but it applies when you talk about trying to build relationships within the organization and the network. Um, to ask those questions and then just stop and listen to what they have to say. You know, that, that's a good point because you're still dealing with human beings, whether it's the other end of the email, across the conference room table, at the, you know, other end of the production line or the people doing the receiving, shipping, customer service. You still are people. And taking a moment to get that human element, you know, that's a really good piece of advice. You know, I'd, I'd like to talk about how you're trying to give back to the industry and um, giving back to youth and women in particular. Kathy, tell us a little bit about what inspired you to make mentoring the next focus of your career. Yeah, that's, a good, that's a great question. Um, interesting path that led me to that was I um, re- retired in June of last year, and I promised myself and my family that I would take three months off and not do anything. And so during that three months, I helped my dad plan a family reunion. I We got a dog, and, and I volunteered for the uh, American Marketing Association board. So I didn't really take truly three months off, but I didn't pursue anything new. Um, and then in October, I set my sights on, okay, what is the next phase of Kathy Jo going to look like? And I listened to a podcast about um, solopreneurism, which kind of resonated with me because – uh, solopreneurism just means taking your talents and your energy and your experience and applying it to some business uh, as opposed to entrepreneurism, which is really building a business. Uh, and I was at the point that I don't want to hire a bunch of people. I don't want to build another organization. I've done that over my 30 years of career. 
but I did want to do something individually and personally, and, and I looked at a variety of different things. I started writing my own, you know, notes on, I might write a book, I might go on a speaking tour, I might you know, become a fitness coach, all these different ideas. And my first entry back into the uh, electrical industry was at the NECA conference in Seattle uh, in October. And at that NECA conference, it was a great opportunity for me to talk to manufacturers that I knew, distributors that I knew, and contractors that I knew, um, and just tee up this idea about, here's what I'm thinking. Um, my goal is, is twofold. One is I want to give back to an industry that has given so much to me and my family. Um, and then second is to um, earn enough money to, to pay for me to go to about eight of these conferences a year. Because, you know, it's not, not necessarily a cheap day. Um, and, and, and a lot of talks, you said, oh, so you're going to hire a bunch of people and you're going to build a big consulting business. I said, no, I don't want to hire a single person. I, you know, it's just me, myself, and I. Uh, and what came out of that, I look back um, in my career, and I was fortunate to have a number of incredible mentors that helped me become who I am and what I am throughout my career and where I am today. Um, and if I had known then what I know now, I would have been much more deliberate, much more intentional about finding mentors, and I use the plural mentors, um, and leveraging the value of having those mentors in becoming the best person that I could be. Uh, in fact, during my retirement, I have become uh, certified as a professional mentor, uh, and part of that certification really uh, revealed to me how to find a mentor and manage that relationship. So even in my retirement, I've actually drafted uh, two new mentors that are helping me as I kind of form this solopreneur business and do these workshops and and figure out, you know, what's important to me, what's my why, and, and how do I want to balance giving back and being involved and being busy with passion and what I love and what gives me, gives me joy. So it's been quite an adventure. So do you have one or two tips? that you could give to our listeners about finding a mentor um, and maybe doing so in a deliberate and intentional way like you spoke about? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, people use the term mentoring. Uh, everybody means a little bit something different. And the way that I define it and, you know, professionally, it's, it's really it's a voluntary, two-way, mutually beneficial relationship. Um, and I find the, the best approach to be very deliberate and intentional with it is to first kind of do a self-assessment and figure out, why do you want a mentor? That, that really is the, the beginning of it. Instead of just walking up to someone saying, hey, will you be my mentor? And they're going to look at you and kind of, well, why? How can I help you? Be very intentional. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's, you want to build your presentation skills. Maybe you want to become a better blogger. Maybe you just, you're, in, um, you're in finance, but you just want to understand marketing. Right, but you don't want to go get a marketing degree. So, um, so the first part is to figure out why do you want a mentor, and then one of the most challenging is and how do you find a mentor? And there are so many different ways to to find a mentor, but the best way to do it is look through outdoor your network, um, or it's kind of like six degrees of separation, right? So put in your email, hey, I'm looking for a mentor to help me better understand marketing. Do you know anyone? And it's amazing mm. how many people will offer up, oh, yeah, let me introduce you to this person who can introduce you to this person. You know, the six degrees of separation is the Kevin Bacon story, right? There's, the theory is that 
you're only six contacts away from knowing seven things. So you're only right. six contacts away from having that perfect mentor. You've got to identify what you want and then just ask, you know, do you know someone who would be a good mentor for me? Um, and then the, the, the hardest part for a lot of people is just making the ask. So let's just say you identify that, oh, Desiree would be a great mentor for this, this lady that's in finance that wants to understand sales and marketing. Well, how does, you know, how do you go about asking Desiree? And so one of the easiest ways to do it, and, and this is just baffling, is just send them an email and just lay out. I've done a self-assessment. I, I want to improve my marketing understanding. Um, you are the marketing in my view. I, I came as a referral from Kathy Joe or from someone. wonder if you would consider a conversation to talk about entering a mentoring relationship. I haven't had anybody today that turns you down to at least have a phone conversation or a cup of coffee. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can build on that and, and build the relationship as formal or as informal um, as you like. Some are very informal relationships. I talk to Alex every other week, um, and it, there's no set agenda. It's just more bouncing ideas off of each other. Uh, informal relationships where it's my objective, here's what I'm going to commit to do, and um, and it's really, um, there are so many different ways to do it, but I kind of buttoned it down to like a four-step process to make it really simple and really easy for anybody to get value out of having a mentor. So how do you know if a mentor that you, that you start having conversations with is, is the right fit for you? And I think <laughs> people that maybe go down that path might find something's not the right fit and, and they're, they're uncomfortable on how to exit that. Uh, could you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So a couple of things. Um, one, the best practice is to say that you should have at least four to six meetings before you weigh in on whether it's, there's value in the truth, you know, there's a good fit or not. Uh, my personal experience, that, that is absolutely spot on. I got matched up with a mentor. Uh, she was in finance with a major manufacturer out of Connecticut. Um, and when we first talked on the phone, we said, okay, let's talk every Tuesday morning from 7 to 8. And I almost at first kind of dread the call because, like, I didn't really know her. We didn't seem to have anything in common. And it was a struggle to find that connection. But after six phone conversations, we had built a relationship on the phone, never met it face-to-face. Uh, we built this relationship on the phone. We started to understand each other's strengths. And she was able to, to help me tremendously in my a financial and business acumen in, in running a business. Um, so, and, and remember, you know, you're finding a mentor to help you build on something you're not good at. So you're not necessarily going to have that immediate chemistry, but after six conversations, you, you'll know. The other best practice, and this is an important part of entering a mentor relationship, is to schedule a midpoint check-in. So uh, let's just say you, you sign up, you say, let's just give this mentoring relationship a try, after six meetings, we're with other and either one of us can call it quits. No questions asked, no harm, no foul. And that's the safe exit that some people don't put in place when they start the relationship. you got to have mm-hmm. that, that exit plan. Uh, and, and actually knowing that there's an exit plan, you know, makes it a little bit easier to just start having a conversation. You know you're going to sign up for six weeks or six months whatever that relationship is. And if it's going well, keep it going. Um, both have, you know that it's going to end on this date. 
You know, that's kind of interesting because a lot of relationships, you do have to give them some time and effort and get into them before, you know, sometimes you, you hit a good groove or a good working relationship. I mean, that holds true with colleagues as as well as with a mentor-mentee relationship. Um, and there's there so, are... Um, there are reference tools that that uh, that I provide during my workshops too. Of like, here's like ten questions you might ask your mentor during your first meeting. Just kind of like you know, get to know you type of, mm. of questions. You know, sometimes folks, though they might know they need a mentor, have a hard time narrowing it down to let's say one subject or understanding in what areas they might want a mentor. How do you really go about identifying? your own needs. You talked a little bit about know thyself, but, you know, how do you really do that effective self-assessment to understand where your gaps truly lie? Well, I've, I've created over time a self-assessment that looks um, at both, you know, business skills and personal development, because you might want to mentor for your own personal development, not just for professional development. Um, and the self-assessment is just a one-page summary that covers pretty much the gamut if you look at whether it's emotional intelligence or do I need business skills, do I need communication skills. Um, and that's a useful tool just to, to reflect. The other, the other piece of advice I would, I would give people is, you know, don't, don't overcomplicate things and don't overthink it. The second thing is know that you can have more than one mentor, and it's, it's better to start small, start defined, and, and do a great job with a few instead of the trivial many. So instead of trying to say, oh, my gosh, I've got, like, these ten things that I need to work on, well, that, that might be true. We all have a lot of things to work on. But narrow it down and say, okay, but I really let's just play around and try this with my networking skills, right? I wasn't always the best networker. I, I'm, I'm actually an introvert by nature. So it was very hard for me to walk into this room of 200 people and walk up to a group of three standing in a circle and say, hi, my name is Kathy Jovan. How are you? What are you doing today? And that, that's just mm-hmm. really hard for me. But I, had a, sure. I found a mentor. I, I looked around the room, and I found this guy that, wow, I mean, Ed does this impeccably. He's, he's never met a stranger. I'm like, how do you do this? And he just, he just coached me and shared with me. He goes, the more you do it, the more you practice it, the better you get. And, like, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? I mean, he kind of just yeah. taught me to lighten up. So, you know, you might, that might sound like, well, that's a trivial. I mean, okay, becoming a better network helped me if I'm, an H, if I'm in HR. But that was just something that worked for me personally. Um, and there's all different reasons. So I guess my, my best advice would be, you know, don't try to bite off too much. Don't eat the elephant, you know, as a whole. Eat it one bite at a time. So just pick one and, and try it. And, and the other part is um, with, with LinkedIn and with digital media and Facebook and, and all, there are so many different ways to find a mentor. In fact, John C. Maxwell uh, has a great uh, article he just wrote about three different types of mentors everybody should have. And he talks about, you know, finding mentors that, that are his mentor that didn't even know they were his mentor, you know, because they write, you know, blog posts and he just reads their books. So it doesn't necessarily even have to be uh, someone that – you meet with face-to-face. It could be someone mm-hmm. you meet with on the phone or just someone you follow their blog post and you read and you're inspired uh, mm. by them. That can, that can help you build those, those skills as well. 
But it kind of, it really just goes back to being very intentional and very deliberate. So if you're going to do it, you know, make sure that you just set aside and say, okay, every Tuesday morning at 7 a.m., I'm going to do something about finding a mentor. Mm-hmm. Or I'm going to do my self-assessment. Like putting time on your calendar helps it become much more intentional. Because uh, they, they say that, you know, like uh, a friend of mine in college, her dad would say, Anna, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Right? Mm-hmm. You, you can't just decide sure. to do it. You just need to do it. So, Kathy, um, let's just say one of our listeners is really intrigued and would like to get in touch with you. Um not that I want to turn this into an advertisement, but, you know, I found this conversation incredibly interesting and engaging. So do you have a website that people could check out if they're interested in learning more? Yes. I I, I am so excited that I just in the last 30 days launched my website. It's called kjcompany.net. Um, I created it myself because I wanted that was one piece that I wanted to just figure out how to create a website. Um, and back to the mentoring comment, I got it like 90%, and I couldn't get it to the next piece. And so I actually found someone, to Kelly, to help me learn, okay, how do I take it to the next level? So that website, I share a lot of resources around mentoring. Um, my email is on there. My cell phone is on there. And, again, Desiree, this is, this is not about me advertising something. This is about me making – aware of the value of mentoring and I want to I want to share it I want to empower people to to understand it so I welcome anybody to go visit the website there's a contact me section on that website again it's kjcompany.net um, and would love to just have a conversation with uh, anybody uh, about the value of mentoring and how to, how to get started or how to move to the next level fantastic so in closing, do you have um, one or two lessons that you've learned from mentors or one or two lessons that you'd like to share with our audience, um, not necessarily about mentoring, but about um, women in manufacturing or women at work in general? Um, you know, it's interesting when when you talk about women in manufacturing or women in, in a, uh, uh, an industry that's, that's primarily uh, where, where we're a minority. <clears throat> um, and one of my key messages that I shared with the group in San Diego at the Trailblazer Award um, presentation was, you know, check your woman card at the door. Uh, and I was amazed at how that resonated with so many people. I got phone calls from men and women in the industry after that speech or saying thank you for saying that. Um, and, yeah. and what I mean by check your woman card at the door is, and maybe because I grew up in this industry, I never looked at myself as a woman in the electrical industry. I looked at mm-hmm. myself as a member of the industry. Um, right. And so that's what I mean by check your woman card. We, if, if you go into a conversation with the, oh, I'm I'm a woman in this industry, and and I'm and, and you, the little voice in your head keeps telling you you're the minority and you're different, you're going to be different. You're going to be perceived different. But if you just go into every conversation as a member of the they will uh, contribute to that industry, you'll be amazed how the, the, the conversation just, just shifts. Um, one of the guys that used to work for me said, you know, KJ, one of the greatest things about working with you and working for you 
was a resounding message to everyone in the industry uh, about just being just be a member of the industry. I think mm-hmm. the other the other piece I just would share, particularly for women in manufacturing, is really um, kind of like three three things as I was thinking about. Is one is you've got a customer, right? And so I talked about a little bit at the beginning about the stories uh, of how I learned the customer, your, your company special, and then the, just that resounding message of, of, of get a mentor or two or ten. Um, uh, because mentors have helped me become, you know, who I am and, and enabled me to be where I am today. I, I think that's great advice because at the end of the day, you want to be valued for your contributions. Um, not wrapped around your gender or what makes you different from other people in the industry, but about what you bring to the table and um, how you contribute to your department, your organization, your customer, whether that be internal or external. Um, Mm -hmm. Andrea, any final thoughts or questions for Kathy? You know, uh, the the only last question I have uh, is is really if, if you had to look back you know, on two sides of the coin, what did you, what did you love the most about being in manufacturing, and what did you like the least? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I would say, what I liked the most was was the people, um, and that's not just the people that I worked with in the in the plant, but the incredible the people in the industry. Um, everybody is so um, willing to help. And uh, it doesn't matter if you're a publicly traded company or a little small privately held company. It's the opportunity to work with people and a diverse group of people was what I liked the, the most about manufacturing. And I would say what I liked the, the least was the most challenging part was if you're a manufacturer and you're selling through channels of distribution, it's very difficult to get to the customer that's consuming your product. Uh, and when I was with a distributor, I went to all different plants and contractor job sites, and, and that's what I loved about being with the distributor. Being on the manufacturer, in fact, I was just talking to a product manager of a large manufacturer this morning, and she said it's really, really hard to get to the customer. Um, and so I think being that one or two or three levels in the supply chain removed from that end customer uh, is probably one of the most frustrating and challenging things is being in the manufacturing. Absolutely. Um, well, Kathy, we really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us and share some of your insights and experiences with our listeners. Um, Andrea, I will leave it to you to wrap up and let our listeners know about our next podcast. And um, Kathy Joe, again, thank you so much. And if any of our listeners are interested in learning more about mentoring from uh, an expert such as yourself, they can check out your website at kjcompany.net. And, Andrea, I'll leave it to you. Yes, thank you, Desiree, and thank you, everybody, for tuning in today. I hope you found today's podcast uh, enlightening, riveting. Uh, we found it just fascinating, and I really want to thank Kathy Joe for her contributions. I think we could have gone on for quite some time. Uh, if you do like the Riveting Exchange podcast, please, please keep following us. Uh, we have a podcast about every month, so uh, stick with us. If you have ideas, comments, or questions, 
Also, feel free to contact us anytime. We'd love to hear back from you and hear about ideas and subjects that you'd love us to discuss. Thank you again, and until next time. Thank you for listening to Women and Manufacturing. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.